Hello and welcome to PathPod. I'm Dr. Mike Arnold of Children's Hospital Colorado and this is our next episode of the PathPod Quiz Show. Our guests today are Dr. Tanya Platero, an incoming pathology resident at the Baylor College of Medicine, Dr. Abdul Abid, a third-year resident at the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston, Texas, and our pathologist guest is Dr. Sarah Jelliff, private practice pathologist in Florida and major in the United States Air Force Reserve. Dr. Platero can be found on Twitter at T-A-N-I-A Platero M-D and Dr. Abid is on Twitter at Abdul Abdid M-D. As always, our hosts are Dr. Sarah Jang of Duke Health and Dr. Christina Arnold of the University of Colorado. Dr. Jang is on Twitter at Sarah underscore Jang and Dr. Arnold is on Twitter at C Arnold underscore G-I. Now here's your hosts, Dr. Jang and Dr. Arnold. Hello and welcome everyone to the next episode of the PathPod Quiz Show. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Sarah Jang, and I am joined by my amazing co-hosts, Dr. Christina Arnold. Hey y'all. And Dr. Mike Arnold. Hey Sarah, how's it going? So excited. This is always one of my favorite parts of the week. And we're really excited to have our amazing guests here. Our first guest is Tanya Platero, who's a medical graduate from El Salvador, who will be an incoming PGY1 at Baylor in Houston. Our second guest is Dr. Abdul Abid, who is a third-year resident at UTMB in Galveston. And our practicing pathologist guest is Dr. Sarah Jella, a pathologist in private practice in Florida and a major in the Air Force Reserve. Welcome, everybody. (laughs) How's everybody doing today? Excellent. Great. It's hot, but good. (laughs) Yeah. It's going great. So a lot of you are in kind of warmer areas, right? I feel like I might be the furthest north in Durham of everybody. Tanya, where are you joining us from? I am in El Salvador, actually, today. And it's very hot. (laughs) It's a very hot. It's usually in the 70s, usually. But today, for some reason, I'm not sure what, is around 85. And it's very humid. And, but it's usually really good. It's a good weather for everything. <laughs> El Salvador is a great place. You can go to the beach in half an hour from where I live. And you can go to the mountains in two hours from where I live. So small, cute country that has lots of things to do. Wow. Well, I have to say it might be hot, but you look very calm and collected and ready to go, Dr. Potero. <laughs> Thank you. I get nervous, but I'm going to do my best. So where are you from in El Salvador? I'm from San Salvador, the capital city. And is that where you did medical school? Oh, yeah, I did medical school here. I started in 2004. It's eight years of medical school here. So straight from high school, you have to kind of know what you want to do. (laughs) So it's eight years straight and then a year of practice. So it's nine years to graduate. After I graduated, I moved to the United States and started doing the steps and getting ready and preparing for residency back there. Cool. And is that one year kind of like an intern year where you're doing a lot of different specialties or is it one specialty? So after you finish the whole med school, like the lectures and everything, you do one year kind of internship, a little bit of everything. And then the last year is one year of social service. That's like the translation, but it's like rural service. You go to underserved areas and spend a lot of time with people helping them and just taking care of the clinic. Mine happened to be 10 minutes away from the beach. So I had great views (laughs) from the beach. So what was that like going straight from medical school into that kind of environment? What was your practice like? 
Oh, I still remember the first day. I was nervous. My heart was pounding. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be a doctor today. <laughs> <For real. laughs> yeah. There's always someone there who's kind of guiding you the first month, like the senior medical director who's always guiding you. So she was telling me, don't worry, don't get nervous. It's nothing uncommon. And if you see something uncommon, you're just going to send it to the hospital. So don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> So that was what it was. It was nice. I spent a lot of time with people and they made a lot of good friends. I'm still good friends with. It, it was a very good year. Yeah, that's an amazing experience to be able to have kind of coming into pathology and having that mentorship when you first start out is so important no matter what specialty you're in or what kind of practice you're in. So that's great that you were able to have that support. Tanya, I love your energy and enthusiasm. It's so inspiring. And that's going to carry you really far through residency. That's half the battle is just being enthusiastic and ready to be there every day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I feel really blessed and grateful to have matched my residency. It's like a dream come true to me. (laughs) Aww. That's great for your future residency because we all want residents who are excited to be there. And I can tell you're really, really excited to be there. So I think they're lucky to have you. Thank you. So tell us, how did you pick pathology? Oh, well, so when I entered medical school, I thought that I was going to become a surgeon. That's inscribed in my mind. After like my first year, I underwent some like health problems, surgical problems. And when I came back, I was taking my first course in was pathology, right? And I was struggling with pathology, not really because of pathology, but mostly because I was off school for almost a year. And when I came back, I talked to my assigned mentor and, and he's a pathologist. And he talked to me and he guided me. He'd take that extra time to spend with me every week. He would be like, okay, this is what you got. You're going to study this. You're going to focus on this. And kind of guided me through all my studying and how to make a better effort into learning. And after a year of this one-on-one mentorship with this doctor, I just felt, oh my God, I want to be like this kind of person. I want to be this kind of doctor. And on the site, like on the time that we had, I also asked him about his day-to-day practice, which is completely different, like teaching pathology courses and what pathologists do, completely different, right? And he would be so enthusiastic and he would just tell me, oh my God, I do this and this every day. I, I review slides. And I just can feel the enthusiasm that he had. And I just knew, okay, if he's so excited, I know I'm going to love it. So I decided, okay, I'm going to go for pathology. (laughs) And that's pretty much how I choose it. It was a one-year mentorship of a person who really, really helped me a lot and just gave me that boost and that enthusiasm. Wonderful. Yeah. And you'll be that person for somebody else, right? It's really amazing how sometimes even you were very fortunate to have an extended period of time, but sometimes it's just a person you meet for an afternoon and it just changes everything. It's just, it's wonderful how that happens. All right. So if you couldn't be in medicine, what would you be doing? Myself wonder that. I rather be two things. First, I was going to say that I would be like an international journalist so I can travel the world and ask people things. <laughs> but if I can do that, I would love to be a barista, like a coffee barista. Mm. <laughs> if I can do that for a living, I'd be that. But in El Salvador, I mean, the coffee must be amazing. <laughs> when you come to Houston, are you going to bring a lot of El Salvador coffee? Yes. Actually, my uncle owns a small coffee plantation. Oh so God. he Ooh. sends me like 
newly toasted coffee every six months. <laughs> wow. wow. I think that we'll have to judge some of these coffee beans and, <laughs> you know, in exchange, you might be able to get an extra path pod ruler, maybe. <laughs> Fair trade. Fair trade. <laughs> so, I'd love to share with you. I'd love to share it. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Okay. So what is your best piece of advice? I think I would say don't give up and follow your dream. If you want to do something and you've explored all other possibilities and you know that you can't live without your desired thing, for example, me, I knew I wanted to be a pathologist and I knew I wanted to just practice pathology, right? I knew I was you know, going to give up and <laughs> I don't know if I say it correctly, but yeah, it's beautiful. Don't ever give up and follow your dreams. Wonderful. That's terrific advice. So Mike and I are following our dreams. We're going to be in Galveston next week. So when I heard you're going to move to Houston and you're in Galveston, I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to be like on the same island. (laughs) What's going on in Galveston? I'm from Austin, Austin, Texas. And my mom's got her vaccines. We all got a vaccine and we just haven't seen my mom in a year and a half. And I love the mountains. My gosh, I love Colorado. There was one place I could never could leave again. It would be Colorado. It's so beautiful here. But yeah, we're looking forward to going to the beach and going to Guido's and eating. When I wrote to Texas, I gained a pound a day. Because that's my favorite souvenir. <laughs> that's a sign of a good vacation like, right there. Right? That's the best souvenir is just to eat and sit, eat and sit, eat and sit. So so excited that we have two people who are in Texas right now. Okay, here we go. In today's medical student quiz show segment, I will read you three board style questions. Provide the correct answer and you win a point. Win enough points and you win a prize path pod clear ruler. Are you ready to play? Yes. Question number one, fetal erythropoiesis incurs in which of the following? The liver, the heart, the brain, or the great toe? Are we ever going to have an episode without your great toe in it? You know? <laughs> what was the last the great one? toe is immortalized in the, the great toe. path pod lore. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Can you repeat the, the answer choices? Because yes. I, I was thrown up by the great I toe. know. I know. It always does. <laughs> You're not alone. And that's why I include it. So fetal erythropoiesis occurs in which of the following? A, liver. B, heart. C, brain. D, great toe. The liver. Very good. Very good. There's a little acronym. It's Young Liver Synthesizes Blood to help you remember the four places where fetal erythropoiesis happens. So young, the Y is for yolk sac. Liver is for the liver. Synthesize. Anyone, you want to guess what the S is in this acronym? The spleen. And then B is the bone marrow. Yolk sac, liver, spleen, and bone marrow. How's that for a pediatric pathologist? Does that sound about right? Pretty good. Nice. Nice. (laughs) All right. Good. Great job. That's terrific. Question number two. Which blood type is universal donor for red blood cells? So this person can donate red blood cells to anyone. Type A, type B, type AB, or type O? Type O. Very good. Oh my gosh. Every time this came up in medical school and residency, I had to just memorize it for whatever reason. It never stuck. Type O are the universal donors because they don't have any group antigens on the red blood cell. So they can donate red blood cells to anyone. 
Christina, you must not be type O. As a type O person, I always knew that I was a universal donor. So my parents are immunologists. I think this like this great sense of responsibility to donate blood as soon as I could. Because I was like, they need my red cells out there. Actually, I am type O. I don't have any guilt. They can't see this, but she's holding up like a crystal chalice as she says, (laughs) oh, my red cells are mine. They're mine by divine right. No one else shall have I'm them. an only child. <laughs> I tend to keep all my red blood cells. No, no, no. I'm actually B positive. But I have been to Africa so many times mm. that I always get rejected. So I've kind of given up since I've been traveling. Yeah. I don't know if the rules may have changed since then. But that's for our listeners. Type O has no group antigens on the red blood cell. They can donate red blood cells to anyone. Does anyone know who the universal recipient is? A, B, Right, type A, B is a universal recipient because they have A and B on their group antigens on their red blood cells, so they can receive red blood cells from anyone. That's awesome. Very good. Okay, question number three. I'm going to ask you, what is the deficiency? We have a 90-year-old white woman who's been a vegan for 20 years. She presents with neurological symptoms. We find that she has megaloblastic anemia. She's on no medications. What do you suppose her deficiency is that's causing the megaloblastic anemia? B12 deficiency. Very good. Very good. What is that type of anemia? We call it megaloblastic anemia. The clinicians might call it something else. Do you know what that something else is? Oh, I love this word so much. It's just such an old-fashioned, old-timey, like rolled doll but kind of word. I wonder if they have an L-suffer, but they may. Abdul, do you want to guess? The pernicious anemia. Such a good word, isn't it? (laughs) Such a like Roald Dahl, Charles Dickens. It's just pernicious. Yeah, right? I love it. Okay, very good. Perfect. Now, bonus question. This is uh, a bonus question for you. We had folate as one of the answers. I don't even think I read the you didn't even answer. No, she what? got it without even multiple choice. is amazing. I love it when you guys guess it. All right, so tell me, folate deficiency, what is the most common association with folate deficiency? Uh, lack of leafy greens. People don't eat enough leafy greens. Perfect. Yeah, so for a board-style question, maybe you see like an alcoholic who doesn't have a very good diet. It's not eating the leafy greens. Perfect. Very good. Well, congratulations. You that have That was won. amazing. Yay. Thank you. Clear path pod ruler coming to you. Tell us, what are you going to do now? I'm so excited. I'm just having a blast here. So I'm just going <laughs> to keep enjoying the time together. <laughs> well, I'd like you to do your homework assignment the next week until you receive it is look around for things you can measure. <laughs> because it's so much fun. <laughs> oh, yes. But make sure they're not very long. So, you know, short things that you can measure. Yeah, I, like, I usually recommend things. snacks of money. <laughs> money yeah. <laughs> the, the classic like this will be big enough to measure stacks of money if you're an active yeah. pathology i'm sure like, yeah. exactly. although i mean someone in the call can obviously afford crystal chalices so i mean i've just got like a mug over here well i have only water bottles so. oh, <laughs> congratulations oh, that was awesome that was awesome great job great job so next we have our resident game with dr abid welcome dr abid tell us about yourself so I was born and raised in Pakistan, medical school in Pakistan. Then I did my intern year there. Then I initially wanted to be a hemonk, but then I realized that that was probably not for me. And I decided that the next best thing for me was pathology and applied for a residency program in Pakistan. I got accepted after a test and I did about, I'd say, 10 or 11 years. And then I decided to pursue some greener pastures. That's how I ended up in, in Galveston. 
Cool. What's your favorite part of being a pathologist? My favorite part of being a doctor is just to help people who have patients and to diagnose things that were previously undiagnosed. I'm a big Sherlock Holmes fan, so I like <laughs> figuring things out. And that I find is pathology is very, very puzzle oriented. Sometimes you have to find out what's happening. And I believe that is my favorite part. Yeah, I think a lot of us are drawn to solving puzzles when we're pathologists because every day, every slide that comes across my desk is another puzzle to solve. And just like puzzles, some of them are pretty easy to solve and some of them require help from friends and yes. textbooks and the internet. Yep. So, 10,000 people. 10,000 pieces. Yes, the 10,000 piece puzzle that is missing several of the key elements that has no edges, basically. <laughs> Some of the cases are like that, and it is still rewarding to try to solve them and put them together. Awesome. What are your future plans? I will be going to UPMC for a surgical pathology fellowship next year, and I am currently applying for a cytopathology fellowship. Cytopathology is an awesome subspecialty. I am very, very slightly biased as yes. anyone who has listened to the show for more than one second knows. <laughs> But that's awesome. All right. So we always ask this, what is your best piece of advice? So my best piece of advice would be to try to find a good balance in your work and outside of work life. There is no perfect balance. That is that is something we have to understand. But I feel like still carving out some time for yourself, for your family is very important. It goes a long way. That's such important advice because you can't just work all the time. And during the pandemic, the work-life boundaries have gotten a little blurrier than usual because <laughs> of all these amazing digital tools, which I love. I love the flexibility, but I think that sometimes the flexibility leads to even more blurring of that boundary. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I know I've given some lectures from you know the sunroom in my house with the kids knocking down the wall. So <laughs> technology is a blessing and a curse. So that's awesome yeah. advice. I hope we all and all our listeners find the right balance, which can change over time. So awesome. Are you ready to play for the coveted path pod ruler? Ooh, I'm excited. All right. So in medicine, our days are very, very busy. So it's always important to start the day right. And so that's why I'm calling this game breakfast of champions, because we are all champions here one way or another. And also here at path pod and in pathology in general, we love food. So much so that many food terms are used to describe pathologic findings. So for this game, each answer will be a pathology finding, which is also a food that might be found in a typical breakfast. And here, because we're here in the Western Hemisphere, we're going to be doing traditional Western breakfast and not soup dumplings or rice porridge like I would eat in China, right? Just to give you an example, I always do an example. For instance, if the clue was anaplastic large cell lymphoma is characterized by hallmark cells, which can take on various morphologies, including a horseshoe or a sweeter appearance, you would answer donut cell. <laughs> exactly. So anaplastic large cell lymphomas <laughs> oh have hallmark cells and they can look like horseshoes or donuts. So if you're interested in exercise and equestrian pursuits or donuts, which are much more commonly seen in break rooms. Clear as mud? Yep. <laughs> All right. You've got this one, Dr. Abed. So first question. In the GYN tract, Brenner tumors have nuclei with this characteristic appearance. More importantly for some of us, I know Tanya knows this, no morning is complete without a hot or iced beverage made with this magical seed. Coffee bean. 
Exactly. I love that Tanya mentioned the coffee because I love coffee so much. And so Brenner tumor is, of course, a tumor composed of transitional epithelium and you know, often in a fibromatous stroma. And those transitional cells have these like little uniform nuclei. Often they have a longitudinal nuclear groove, which looks like a coffee bean. Dr. Abed, are you a coffee drinker? Yeah, but I drink decaf. Yeah. Around the afternoon, I start switching to decaf too. Otherwise, I stay up late thinking about my never-ending to-do list, speaking of work-life balance. So <laughs> Awesome. You're doing great. All right. Next question. The normal pericardium is smooth and glistening, but at the time of autopsy in cases of fibrinous pericarditis, due to the adhesions of bright yellow fibrin, the pericardium may take on this appearance, which is likened to a food, which might be a simple breakfast for those who are not following a keto or low fat diet. Do you know the term? I know that it's a bread and the second part I forget. Because I've seen that in uremic pericarditis in yeah. some of my autopsy cases. So, and it does look like that. Yeah. So if you were not low fat, what would be the fattiest thing maybe you could put on bread that would be that yellow color? Butter? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You got it. Bread and butter pericarditis. Yeah. So that's amazing that you actually got to see that. I think that yeah. was something I never actually saw during my residency. So that fibrinous pericarditis can be in uremic pericarditis, trauma, surgery, myocardial infarctions, vascular disorders, and malignancies can take on that appearance as well. So bread and butter. I have to say that is to me possibly would be the most boring breakfast known to humans, but you know, it takes all kinds. My kids love bread and butter. They would eat that probably every day. Toast with just butter, lots and lots of butter. So oh, much good. butter. They would eat the butter by itself, honestly. <laughs> just lick it off. Just lick the butter off the thing. Yeah. Such a good parent. Anyway, the next question, and you're doing amazing, Dr. Abed. The next question, neurofibromatosis type one is characterized by multiple neurofibromas, particularly plexiform ones, Lish nodules, and multiple ones of these lesions, which are due to an increase in melanin in the basal layer of the epidermis, and which are named after a specific caffeinated beverage that one might drink in the morning. Cafe au lait. Yes, exactly. Exactly. There's so many coffee answers. And I do think it might be because at least some of us pathologists really love drinking coffee throughout the day. I always said that that was one of the best things about being a pathologist is if you're just signing out in your office, you can kind of like sit in your office, look at your cases, sip your coffee all day long. And if you get hungry, you can have a snack. If you need to go to the ladies room, you can leave and go to the ladies room. It is better to be able to eat and drink when you want, right? Oh, true. Yeah. For sure. So as a bonus question, do you know what gene or chromosome is implicated in NF type one? NF type one. Is it neurofibrin? Yes, exactly. Exactly. On chromosome 17. That is awesome. Yeah. So there's a defect in the neurofibromin gene, which is on chromosome 17 in NF type one. And then for NF type two, the mutation is in the Merlin gene on chromosome 22. So I always try to remember that NF type one, 17 starts with one and then type two, 22, the two twos. I don't have a great mnemonic for neurofibromin and Merlin though. I guess if you remember that one is neurofibromin and one is Merlin, you could be like neurofibromin is the one that sounds more like neurofibromatosis. And that would be the first one you think of. I don't know. I'm not great at coming up with mnemonics. I'm really here just for bad puns. Sorry, y'all. 
All right. But you are doing awesome. You are three for three and a bonus question. Next question. Branch chain alpha keto acid dehydrogenase deficiency is an autosomal recessive metabolic disorder affecting branch chain amino acids. This disease gets its unusual common name from the distinctive sweet odor of patient's urine, which is apparently reminiscent of this topping that might be used for waffles and pancakes. It's also very common in Canada. And I saw that particular topping in Maine when I was visiting multiple years ago. It's maple syrup. Exactly. Yes, 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 yes. I was actually just up in Maine a couple weeks ago and it was so delightful. I didn't have a lot of maple syrup, but I ate a lot of lobster. (laughs) There's probably a disease related to lobster and I probably have it now from eating too much of it. So exactly. So maple syrup urine disease. And when I was looking this up, I learned some interesting things from Wikipedia, which I did not then corroborate with primary literature. Apparently, <laughs> in addition, yeah, I know it's, it's very dubious. You guys should probably look this up after the episode. Apparently, in addition to the urine, the smell may be present in earwax of an affected individual during a metabolic crisis. Ugh. Can you imagine how they would come up with this thought? Like, how did they figure it out? That it was an earwax. I wonder how they came up to like, oh, it's there too. Yeah, I feel like there's a really (laughs) great story that wasn't cited in Wikipedia, but we'll do some digging into it and see if we can figure it out. But yes. And then the other thing is that for folks who are unfamiliar with maple syrup, apparently the smell has also been likened to fenugreek, which has a similar aroma. I am more familiar with maple syrup than fenugreek, but I will take our word for it. So yes, excellent, excellent. All right, last question. So one of our neuropathologists here from Georgia used to refer to oligodendroglioma as a quote unquote farm tumor based on its morphology. Classically, it has a dense network of fine branching capillaries referred to as a chicken wire pattern. And the cells are described with this related term that is named after a very common breakfast platter denizen. I love that breakfast better, by the way. It's the fried egg beer. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. In oligodendrogliomas, you get artifactual retraction of the cytoplasm, leading to the characteristic fried egg appearance of tumor cells. And I love a fried egg too. We have chicken stuff, so we eat a lot of eggs. All right. Lastly, we have a bonus question. Do you know which two molecular findings are required for the diagnosis of oligodendroglioma? Uh... So this is, I think, relatively new in the WHO. Yes, yes. I, I think in the 2016 version of the WHO, they made that one of the criteria. We had a lecture on this, I think, two weeks ago. And I unfortunately do not remember that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry. It's okay. So no worries. I'm so glad that you finally missed a question, though, because you were just <laughs> knocking everything out of the park and making me feel really bad about how little I knew as a resident. So thank you for doing that. So the two things that you need are both an IDH mutation that can be IDH1 or IDH2 and a 1P19Q codeletion. So those are the two things that are now required for the diagnosis of oligodendroglioma. But congratulations, Dr. Abed, you did amazingly on the quiz. And so you have won yourself a limited edition path pod ruler that will be coming to you shortly. How do you feel? I feel great. I feel like I've achieved a lot. You have achieved a lot. That was an awesome performance. And like I said, I think I would have not done that well as a resident. And so I think the future is really, really bright because the trainees just keep getting better and better. And the attendings, I guess, just stay about the same. (laughs) So congratulations. Congratulations. All right. Now it is time for our 
bluff the guest game for our special pathologist guest, Dr. Jellef. Dr. Jellef, tell us about yourself. I'm excited for this. I'm Sarah Jellef. I'm currently working as a PRN pathologist. So I kind of substitute for people when they go on vacation or to a conference. Right now I'm kind of working full time, but I like that flexibility because I can kind of say yes or no to when I want to work and spend a little more time at home with my kids or, you know, on the beach, (laughs) whatever you're choosing is. And yes, I am also in the Air Force Reserve. I was active duty for quite a while, but I separated in October and now I just do once a month in the Air Force Reserve and it's a really fun way to stay connected to my military roots. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your experience in the military. I know you've had a lot of experiences that I think most pathologists haven't had. I did. I was an ROTC in college. I did not get into medical school my first year. So I had to basically go and do aircraft maintenance for one year while I reapplied, which was really fun. Hmm. I also got to jump out of an airplane five times, which was great with um, a parachute. Very scary, but <laughs> since you're still here, I think the parachute was a suit. <laughs> well, good. Yes. And so I did that. And then the Air Force paid for my medical school once I did get in. Then I did my residency with Sarah Jang at Duke. And then I did my first assignment at RAF Lake and Heath, which is an Air Force base in England. And I was there for three years. And then we came here to Eglin Air Force Base, which is in Florida. And I finished up my time there. I've done general surgical pathology for my entire career, which is kind of like the wild, wild west. You're doing your best and you have to ask for help a lot, but I love it. And I love being able to see everything kind of from head to toe and and not just have a huge stack of GIs or whatever. So it's been a great ride so far. Awesome. That really does speak to how challenging it is to really keep up your skills as a generalist. And that asking for help is so important. I mean, I feel like in cytopathology is probably the closest I get to that because we see cytopath of just about every organ in the body. And I ask for help a lot. And I think that's a really important skill for all the pathology trainees that might be out there or budding pathologists develop that skill of asking for help because nobody knows it all. And knowing when you can sign out a case and when you got a phone a friend that is so, so important. I have a question. So tell us, you said once a month you do something with your Air Force Reserves. What does that look like? So I actually don't do pathology for those two days. I actually work with a different group in the Air Force. It's called the Mission Support Group. And they do things like the security of the base. We do things like logistics and engineering type of things. So it's a totally different job than what I do in my day-to-day life, which I love. And we kind of get to play with things and pretend we're shooting and all that kind of stuff. So (laughs) it's really a fun break. That sounds like such a different world. You're learning some other engineering type skills. You're in Florida? It is. Yes. It's it's here, right here in Florida. I'm in the panhandle of Florida and there is a bunch of military bases. There's a naval base in Pensacola, which if you've ever heard of the Blue Angels, they're a demonstration fighter jet team and they're based there at Pensacola. And then here at Eglin, we have all kinds of different aircraft. We have F-35s, F-22s, all kinds of fighter jet. We've had Air Force One here for a little while. And then we also have another Air Force base in Panama City called Tyndall. And they also have F-22s and all kinds of military people in this neck of the woods. So I don't know if you can say this, we can edit it out if we can't, but I heard (laughs) this weekend on NPR that there was a statement from the military about UFOs. 
<laughs> I didn't hear that. I mean, I've heard little things. I don't know what it was. I don't. Okay, okay. Well, Plausible deniability. They were saying <laughs> that they they exist, that, but the military calls them something else. Not UFOs. They call them like, like UFEs or UFAs or something. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that was big I'll time. I'll have to read up on that. We have discussed here Area Fifty One with mm -hmm. previous people and conspiracies and all kinds of things. So I thought, wow. So oh, man. Again, if we weren't on NSA's watch list before, we are now, Dr. Arnold. Thank you. <laughs> there was an article, a long article in The New Yorker that I was reading, I think, for over the last two or three weeks ago. It discussed how since 2001, there has been reporting by the U.S. Navy and the U.S. Air Force on this, but it was kept under wraps. And now it's coming out. Um, you know, when the pathologists know, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> we always have the inside track on what's coming down the pipeline so do you nice. still have a uh, call to jump out of plane uh now now i think i was pretty crazy you know when i was <laughs> 22 and doing that but you know when you're 22 you're invincible and you have zero fear i will say it was such a good confidence building exercise though because now whenever i get nervous for anything i mean anything even if they are going to be a, a speaker or you have a big presentation something like that i always think back to the level of fear that i felt when i was <laughs> <laughs> hanging out of the airplane and how minimal whatever i'm doing is compared to that and you know i just tell myself hey i jumped out of an airplane five times i sure as heck can speak to this group of people <laughs> What's the coolest plane you've flown in? Well, I haven't done a lot of flying personally, but I have been able to ride in the back of my husband's plane, which is a T-38. He flew a F-15, so I've got to be around a lot of those. But unfortunately, believe it or not, less than 1% people in the Air Force actually get to fly an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of us are just there to support the less than 1%. <laughs> wow. So cool. So cool. Since we've asked the other folks, Dr. Jellif, what is your best piece of advice? I was thinking about that when you were asking everybody else. I really think that this for the residents, probably not so much early on in your residency, but as you get to be a third and a fourth year, really challenge yourself to act independently as much as you can when you're looking at cases with your attendings, I definitely slacked on that. And my attendings allowed it, you know, you kind of look through cases and you give your thoughts. And a lot of the attendings would be like, yep, you're good. You know, you kind of move on, but really challenge yourself to type that case in, like you're going to put your name on it. Because when I got to signing out, and again, this is general path, and I did not have a fellowship, but I had a colon polyp that I obviously knew was a tubular adenoma, something you'll learn in the first couple of months of residency. And I couldn't sign it out. <laughs> because I just, you know, I didn't have that confidence built up where I knew exactly how I wanted to say it and how I wanted the placement of everything to be. And so you know, really challenge yourself, especially your last year to act like an independent pathologist signing things out. Because once you're out there, you don't have that safety net anymore. And of course, you can always ask for help. But you have to have that confidence to be able to punch that sign out button when it's a TA. <laughs> that is such a good point to make. And for those of us who are faculty, it's still something we develop is that wordsmithing of sometimes there's something that's benign and probably nothing. And how do you write that report? I probably spend more time on those reports of just like, how do you say that maybe you missed it or maybe you didn't? There's something here. It's probably benign, but could be a contaminant. You spend a lot of time on those reports. And so to add on to that for the residents out there who sign out with me and are like, oh my gosh, why is Dr. Jay, why do I 
have to watch her type in this like terrible way, this report. <laughs> it's because that wording matters and pathology residency is an apprenticeship, right? You see how other people word things, you kind of develop your own wording. And sometimes as painful as it is to watch your attending literally type in the three sentence comment that cites the literature, maybe you'll use that skill. Maybe you Absolutely. Maybe you and, and just learning the vocabulary. Whenever I send out a case for consult, an expert looks at it, I will usually copy and paste their comment into a file that I have so that I can learn their words and how they describe things so that I can incorporate those words into my reports. Because sometimes, like you said, you just don't know the words to describe something that doesn't really matter to them. But you would obviously want another pathologist to know that you saw that. Yes. Let me add something to that too. So this is really close to what Sarah just said, but as a fellow, we would look at cases and there would just be stacks and stacks of cases. And you know, attendee would say sarcoma. And then and you'd be like, wait a second. <laughs> is that a diagnosis? Is that a WHO <laughs> diagnosis? Is sarcoma? Is write down the case number of the cases that were like, I'm not really sure what's going on here. Or what if it was a little more complicated than that? And the attending took it. So I'm going to think about it and go back to look up the report and how they actually signed it out. I thought was so invaluable because what might have at the conference been blah, 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 sarcoma, how it goes out looks totally different. Absolutely. And that package that it goes out in is invaluable. And unless you look it up, you're not going to know because that sign out, most attendees won't have a lot of time to go into detail because they haven't even constructed it themselves. But if you can see, what they put their name on in a court of law out the door, it will be so valuable. Great advice for sure. So Dr. Jell, if you ready for the bluff the guest game, I guess all of our guests, are you ready for the two truths and a lie game? So in this game, each of the other two guests will tell two truths and one lie about their own lives or pathology. And Dr. Jell will be responsible for figuring out which one is the lie. Tanya, do we want to start with you? You ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay, right now, I'm reading about the great mythologies of the world. And if I could have any superpower, it would be super strength. And my last one, I know it's crazy, but I love to eat a dish called crazy corn. Let's see. I think the lie is, I'm guessing in El Salvador, they have some crazy corn. I think that might be a truth. I would say the lie will be if you could have a superpower, it would be super strength. <laughs> yes, oh, good. I that guess. is the lie. <laughs> that is the lie. Yes. Okay. We need so to hear if, more about everything, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so if I could have a superpower for me, it would be teletransportation. I Ooh. think it's often overlooked and it's so cool. You can be anywhere. Just think about it and go there. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good superpower. And yeah, that was the lie. And here, yes, in El Salvador, there's a dish called crazy corn. So how it, I would describe it is a club of corn that is cooked and it's put like on a, on a wooden stick and it's topped with mayonnaise, mustard, Worcester sauce, and ketchup and cheese. And I know it's crazy, but it's utterly delicious. It's <laughs> amazingly delicious. <laughs> I think all the flavors mix and it's really, really good. And then... Yes, right now I'm reading about the great mythologies of the world. Well, I have some trivia for you later then. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. I would eat the great. So is the crazy corn like a street food? Is it sold for street vendors? It is. It is like a street food. Actually, in Spanish, it's called elote loco. Mm. So <laughs> yeah, I'm familiar with the word elote. Yeah. <laughs> the actual translation is crazy corn. So I don't know if you're going to see it like crazy corn, but it is elote loco. 
and it's kind of like a fair food. For example, if we had some like fairs or something going on, people will sell this. Or you can go to a specific place and have them. But this is street food and it's really, really good. <laughs> I love it. I love learning about different kinds of food. And one day when we can travel again, maybe I'll go to El Salvador and try the Elote Loco. Maybe we'll all meet up there <laughs> and give it a try. <laughs> yes, it's delicious. You should all try it. It's really good. All right. Now it's Dr. Abid's turn. Just an aside, I also love Elote and my wife also loves Elote. So on the last Valentine's Day, one of the places that I took her to was Elote before we went to a bigger lunch place. So my two truths and a lie. I won a national trivia competition when I was 16. I have been to 30 states in the United States. I can speak three and read five languages. Wow. Well, just on the brief time I've known you, I feel like all three of those could definitely be true. Let's see. I'm going to say that the lie is the traveling to the 30 states. Yes. I've only Hi. been to 21. Wow. <laughs> You've only been to how oh many? 21. Oh, <laughs> that's still a lot, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my aim, is to go, my aim is to go to all 50, but we'll see about that. Do you have one of those little maps where you put the pegs in to show where you've been? I actually collect fridge magnets, so there is very little space left in my fridge now. I, I'm probably going to have to buy a new one just for the magnets. <laughs> hey, you did a great job seeking out the truth from yeah. the Did the military teach you, or what? How, you, how are you doing all it? Secret interrogation tactics. <laughs> she could tell you, but she'd have to kill you. <laughs> I'm always trying to improve my lying skills. I need to know more about your truth detection skills. I feel like Dr. Jellif, having been a chief, is a very helpful life skill, too, to read people and figure out what they're up to. Yeah, there can be some shady first-year activity going on. (laughs) (laughs) Not anymore, of course. No, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah, congratulations. You've gotten enough to win your very own PathPod clear rulers. Very excited about that. I'm going to, like, engrave my name on that with like a pick and a hammer because those are very valuable pieces. yeah i mean it's just plastic so i don't think you should need a pick <laughs> and a hammer just like like anything will do it's not made of like diamonds or anything i, I, I don't know if i like oversold someone it. to send me a picture of their path pod tattoo they're gonna get right here. <laughs> oh my gosh i think that would look really good you know like Take it yeah. to the beach, folks. It would be one heck of a gun show. That is for sure. You know, if you're at the beach, someone sees your path pod tattoo. That is going to get you some yeah. selfies, some yeah. autographs. People are going to be like throwing money at you. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> I love it. All right, guys. It. Send us a picture. Let us know. <laughs> you heard it here on path pod first. Dr. Arnold seeking <laughs> path pod tattoo recipient. <laughs> <laughs> I mean the fake ones with the pin. I want oh, that would be fun. Ink. I want an ink on skin. Oh, so the temporary <laughs> tattoo wouldn't work. I was thinking that could be something we could no. do. Like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh my gosh. So you can see that we definitely deserve to be stumped, Dr. Jellif. Are you ready to do our stump the chump game for us? And myself? I am. And Tanya, she might be your lifeline if you need a Ooh. lifeline since so she's reading a book about. Okay, because the question is about the great George Papanicolaou. Ah, the Greeks. The homage to your to your cytopath. All right. The question is, George Papanicolaou, other than discovering the pap test, was also all of the following except A, a rug salesman, B, a violin player, C, a lieutenant in the Greek army, 
or D, a bricklayer. This is all the following except George. Oh. This is George Papp. Wow. There are a wow. lot of possibilities here. I know that there is a lot of pathologists who have musical inclinations, and I know that there are lots of cytopathologists that have musical inclinations. I am not one of them, but <laughs> there's a lot of art and music that goes hand in hand with the practice of pathology. So I could believe that one. She could be tricking us. Maybe it's not a violin. Maybe it's like viola. Else. Like maybe yeah. it's a viola or something. <laughs> wouldn't be like a lute. Okay, okay. A melodica? Let's see. I don't know. But see, clearly Dr. Jellith has an edge on us because of her advanced military training. I'm pretty sure we're never going to figure it out because, you know, (laughs) yeah. Rug salesman. That is also a very kind of like immigrants story is that you could start out from literally the bottom, like selling things that go on the floor and rise to the top. Believable. Bricklayer. I like bricklayer too, because I feel like building a diagnosis, working with your eyes, making neat orderly arrangements, and then noticing when there's disruption in said arrangements. Why don't we use bricklayer as like some analogy in pathology? You know how we say- That's a good visual, isn't it? Yeah. Is there something in immunofluorescence where you get disarray Mm. of bricks or something? We talk about architectural disarray a lot, but we talk about honeycombs Mm. and not bricks. But yeah, we should do it. We could call it like- I think in the GI epithelium, you could come up with something. Must be able to. Like bricklayer's dysplasia of Arnold. I think that's going to be where you're going to make your mark. (laughs) I think my trainees, I'll be saying, as they say, this is a bricklayer architecture. I know. And then if you say it like that, they're not going to realize that they is just like Mm -hmm. you and me. When I do my lectures, my national lectures will be like, and as they say, I'm speaking in London next month, as they say... This is a bricklayer morphology. Oh, I love it. I'm going to do that in cytopath too. I love it. I'm totally doing it in cytopath in my next effusion cytology lecture. I always say that, you know, in mesothelia, they have like windows between the cells. I always feel like they're more like little alleys between buildings. So I'm going to work bricklayer in there so I can have another failed analogy that nobody else uses but me. Okay, but we need to pick one of these. Okay, we do. We do. I was hoping that if we just kept talking that she would forget about it. We would just end the show. Like, thank you all for being on this show. Oh, gosh. Well, let's see. Dr. Abin, Dr. Platero, what do you think? What do you think? I think I, I remember reading about the great Papa Nicolau in a book on cancer back in the day. And I, I was briefly in Miami and I saw there was a memorial, like a plaque commemorating him since he ended his career in Miami. And I know that he was a carpet salesman, a rug salesman. I'm not sure about the second lieutenant in the army, though. That's what I think. I think I read that he was a military surgeon, Okay, so but then know. if he served in the Greek army, mm. I may be confusing those two, but. Oh my gosh, you know, look at Dr. Jell's face. She is like so happy that we're so. We have a listener. His name is Adele Menon. He's a physician and I think he would know the answer. He came and schooled us on a whole lot of history. I yeah, think. medical <laughs> history for he's sure. Like, he's going to be listening to this episode like shaking his airpods yeah. just being like these people these people Even all right that. christina do you want to so i think that Wait. we we are between what violin and bricklayer mm-hmm. let's go with bricklayer being the the, the, the one that's the not false. true the false okay bricklayer final yep. answer I didn't stump anybody. He's yes. right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Plus you had the lifeline of Tanya 
As Kara mentioned, he is an immigrant from Greece. When he got over here, he had very little money, $250 to be exact. And that was just the entry fee to get into New York. So him and his wife just started working at a department store. That was all the work that they could get. His wife was a seamstress. He was a rug salesman. He also did a little bit on the side with the violin. While he was in Greek, Tanya was right. He was a medical corps surgical person in the Greek army. He served in the first Balkan war and he was not a bricklayer. But little did you know that George Papanikola was such the Renaissance man. Wow. Oh my gosh. Wow. And that really speaks to the wisdom of the group. And I would say yep. the wisdom of the group that wasn't me because that was a group effort. Oh, Everyone wow. helped out. And I think that is like the perfect metaphor for pathology. If you don't yeah. know what the answer is, phone your friends, yeah. get more information, get consensus, and then Do maybe it. you'll get the right answer. And then at the end, to- just guess. And then at the end, just guess. <laughs> no, except for that part. That part, no. <laughs> I love it. I love that. Well, sadly, that brings us to the end of our quiz show today. And thank you so much to all our amazing guests, to my amazing co-hosts for being here. And don't forget, pathology is the best field because if you don't know the answer, you can phone a friend and we'll all get there together. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Support for the Free Path Pod podcast comes from listeners who like it and share it with their friends. So go ahead, send someone the link. And be sure to subscribe to PathPod wherever you download your podcasts. PathPod is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not medical advice. As always on the podcast, any views expressed are solely those of the person speaking and do not necessarily represent their employers, their affiliated institutions, affiliated professional organizations, other speakers on the program, their friends, their families, their pets, or anyone involved in the production and distribution of this podcast. Thanks for listening to PathPod. Ha <laughs> ha